Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Stranger danger was very much alive, but so was a craving to be connected to people, to be able to extend trust, to be able to have cheaper accommodations, to be able to rent an entire place so you could bring your whole family to stay together on a vacation instead of have to rent five rooms adjacent to each other. The thing that used to bug me when you used to rent a property was that they wanted it for seven days. And... Oftentimes I went, I don't really want to go away for seven days. I want to go away for five days or three days or, or whatever. And obviously that flexibility is, uh, is built in there as well, which I, which I think is good. I prefer not to weigh in on that call for <laughs> liability reasons. <laughs> well, I'm worried because I thought you made sense. Now I'm not sure about me. Um, so, so let me. Joseph's a guest. He won't say that I'm not making any sense. <laughs> so, Ryan, you may be aware I I stayed up in Seattle recently mm-hmm. and uh, stayed at a wonderful Airbnb right on this lake and. Airbnb is the latest thing that I'm into. Was this Airbnb house owned by Apple and rented to you through Airbnb? <laughs> we had to get Apple into the conversation okay. early on. <laughs> get it out of the way. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. But today we've got uh, Joseph Michelli, uh, who's joined us. So uh, welcome, Joseph. Thanks for having me, Colin. Hi, Ryan. Hello. And Joseph has written a new book on Airbnb, which we're going to talk about. I find this whole subject fascinating because it's, again, another one of these organizations that are sort of disrupting things. So for those of you that don't know Joseph, Joseph is a certified customer experience professional. He's uh, one of the top global gurus on customer service, and he's authored nine books on companies like Starbucks and Zappos and Mercedes-Benz, Ritz Carlton. And he's been a New York Times bestseller, which is really good. And Joseph helps lead organizations and leadership teams to improve their experience uh, for their for their team members and their customers. And he's also a keynote speaker and does lots of stuff around leadership, customers, and patient experience. So welcome, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Before we get onto the Airbnb, why why the thread of looking at these types of companies? I mean, it must be quite fascinating to to get into all of these types of companies. So this sort of series that you've been you've been doing around these these books, and and then maybe get on and tell us a bit about um, Airbnb and why you chose them and what you found. Well, you know, it's interesting because the books that I write are probably right down the sweet spot of your your book, uh, Happy Employees Make Happy Customers. We are always looking for brands that take care of their people, 
brands that take care of their customers in a way that differentiates them in the marketplace. And because I published through McGraw-Hill, we're always looking for global brands, brands that have an impact outside of the borders of the United States. So those are kind of the three filters we use. The other reality is that I tend to consult for brands. So, you know, recently, my last book was about Mercedes-Benz and I worked with them for a number of years in the transformation of their customer experience. And the next book after this one will be about Godiva, which again has been a client of mine from a consultative perspective. So I kind of get that insight position oftentimes. And of all the companies that we consult for, there's just a few that hit those criteria that that I outlined earlier. So when we hit them, we try to get them to sign a collaboration agreement and share their story uh, so we can give insights to others. Great. Good. And obviously, the Airbnb model is a fascinating model. And I know I was chatting to some people a few years ago that are in the sort of more traditional travel sector and they were really getting worried about uh, what what was happening with uh, Airbnb what's the main findings that come out then from how they go about business is any any secret in what they're doing well you know i think there is a secret and that is that they've tied into the changes of the consumer they're really creating what i would call a 21st century customer experience so i uh, had the good fortune earlier in my career of working with the ritz carlton hotel company and writing a book about them and so i've been in the hospitality side on that elevated side of luxury hotel experiences i think the world has shifted right i mean the the disruptor gap is often when technologies move into the lives of consumers and consumers adopt them more quickly than do businesses adopt them. And if you think about kind of that Martex law that says that businesses tend to improve, but they improve incrementally, whereas sometimes consumers grab onto something technological that might cause them to adopt something that's causing an exponential change in customer behavior. I think Airbnb found that sweet spot of disruption where they saw consumers were looking for ways to travel differently. They were looking for ways to find better deals. They were looking for ways to use their mobile technology to to explore the world around them. And so they positioned a solution that is high tech. It's very much about technology, but they also brought in great people as consultants to help them make sure that they were trying to encourage this just disparate group of, of listers on the website to be great hosts. And not all of them are by no stretch of the imagination, but the ones who get it right, uh, I think execute the best of personal care. And then they also leverage all the best of convenience and personalization that you can get through technology. So what type of, I mean, I've experienced them from a consumer perspective. And as I, as I said at the beginning, I've used them on a number of occasions. And the thing I really like about them is the properties are just so sort of individual and got a bit of character, certainly the ones that we choose and, and stuff like that. So, you know, you go places where you, you wouldn't normally stay, basically. What work do they do with the host? Do they do any training with the host then on what they should do and what they shouldn't do? Yeah. So early on, you saw people like Chip Conley being brought on board. So Chip, who wrote uh, Peak, and he had been the, the hotelier that put together a boutique set of ho- hotels called Joie de Vivre. And he came on board very early on. He His book, Peak, was all about you know, how brands get their mojo from Maslow. And he, he very much helped them look at Maslowian theory of need states. And then he translated 
what were the hospitality skills necessary to go beyond just providing a safe place, a, you know, a, a place of, of lodging to something that created a sense of belonging. So he was really teaching hosts, I think, these higher level wow experiences that might have been taught at a Ritz-Carlton, trying to get at the psychological factors that underlie purchase intent. And I know Professor Hamilton has spent a career helping us understand how people make decisions and the emotional elements that create great value. And I think that Chip Conley's done a really good job of that as well. And, and he translated that and communicates it throughout the host community. And then they do a very good job of what Ritz-Carlton also does well, which is tell wow stories about people who are improvising to deliver these emotionally engaging experiences. Having worked in the two, you know, between Ritz-Carlton and, and I've always been an admirer of, of theirs, and I think they've done a really good, consistent job over a number of years. And now this sort of tech side of things clearly because the tech side of things or any other startup side of things has the advantage of a blank sheet of paper so they don't have all the legacy systems and the legacy culture and all those other things to start off i presume there are common themes between the two of those yeah, I, I think there are. If you start off just with the founders of Airbnb, so there's these three guys, uh, essentially two guys, and then they bring on a tech partner. But, you know, these two design students who need to get a little bit more revenue so they don't lose their apartment in San Francisco. There is a design conference coming into town. So as design students, they know this is going to be a large conference. It's going to impact the amount of hotel rooms that are available in San Francisco. And so they need to make money and they have a spare room because one of their roommates had moved out. They decided to buy some air mattresses. They put them in that room and then they create a very rudimentary website that encourages people to come and stay with them and get breakfast with them and have access to their design magazines and the like. And so the functional assessment of the, the thing was that they needed money. They created a website and they created this very transactional option for people. But when people actually came to stay at $80 a night to sleep on these air mattresses, what they noticed themselves doing was taking them around the town, engaging them, developing friendships with them. So from that, those early iterations, I think they understood that you could do more with this transactional object of a place. You could actually build relationships. You could enable people to travel local. You could enable people to have a different kind of travel experience by infusing and curating your knowledge of your local community. And so that is kind of foundational to what they do. I think the Ritz-Carlton also is not selling a room and a warm shower and a wake-up call, right? They're, share they're selling the home of a loving parent. They're selling this nurturing, anticipating wants, needs, and desires, not just fulfilling them. So I think both of them got that that it's just not a room, it, that you're in the people business and maybe your product is a room, but it's all the other things you can imbue on that product that is a differentiator. And so, again, I want to be very clear. I don't think every host who lists a property on Airbnb gets this or delivers it. I think there are property management hosts on the site that are really no different maybe than hoteliers. Uh, but there are many, many people who have a passion for travel, passion for creating great travel experiences for those who stay with them. And they curate and do all the very things that the founders did with those first Airbnb guests in their, their apartment. You know, the problem always ends up with being scaled, doesn't it? Because as you were talking, I was, I was thinking... Uber and all of these other organizations that start off and it feels quite select and quite 
different. And then as they move into the mass market, then by definition, it, it just, it loses things. So I, I, you know, in fact, one, one client once said to me, I was using Ritz-Colton as an example of uh, best practice and what to do. And they said, well, yeah, but the problem is that they're a hotel and, you know, they're in one place and they've got, you know, I don't know, I don't know how many people they employ, but, you know, I don't know, 300 people at any one time employed, uh, whereas this client was, you know, multinational across many different sites and everything else. So their point being that, you know, again, scale is 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 always a challenge in these things. And, and the danger is, I guess, is that scale can have the danger of, of not creating that, or I guess not destroying, but working against that, that more smaller community feel. Am I making any sense? Ryan, am I making any sense? I prefer not to weigh in on that, Colin, for <laughs> liability reasons. <laughs> well, I'm worried because I thought you made sense now. I'm not sure about me. Um, so so let, me Joseph, let me... Joseph's a guest. He won't say that I'm not making any sense. <laughs> but I know Ryan. I know Ryan is the definitive authority. So if I slide with you, this could be a problem. Hi, this is Colin Shaw. I'm really pleased to announce the launch of my seventh book, which I've called Happy Employees Make Happy Customers. The book is about the interconnection between happy employees and a great customer experience. I explain how you can go about building a great employee experience that drives a great customer experience. For my podcast listeners, I'm also pleased to provide you with a special offer of a third off the regular price. All you have to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash happy. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash happy. And in the promotional code, simply type happy podcast. That's happy podcast. I really hope you enjoy the read. You know, I think fundamentally it is so true. So the Ritz-Carlton, as much as whoever your client was who gave that that uh, analysis, I mean, the Ritz-Carlton still has the problem, right? I mean, yeah. in that building, that may all be true, but they have buildings all around the globe. And you want to deliver the Ritz-Carlton experience, not just the, the Ritz-Carlton experience the millennia way in Singapore. You want to be able to deliver it as a uniform experience. So they've spent a lot of time. First, I think it's fundamental to identify that there's more to the experience than the transaction. So we've already got that out of the way. And then the second is, how do you make sure that that stays alive at scale? So when you get to that point, I think it really is a lot of cultural elements that ritualize this this draw to something bigger than just the transaction. So the Ritz-Carlton does it through daily lineup. And so every single property around the globe is experiencing daily lineup. And the ladies and gentlemen of the Ritz-Carlton are standing there going over their credo card, which is the gold standards of their service delivery. And they're talking about their credo, their motto, their three steps of service. They're doing that stuff every single day, everywhere around the globe, which is the unifying factor for their DNA. The same is true here in the Airbnb experience. I mean, there is such a constant push of information about creating belonging. And that is at the heart of the value proposition for Airbnb. It's it's that people should feel that they belong anywhere. Uh, And that's a fundamental component of this. So your job as a host is to facilitate an experience of you belong here. And it's very simple. 
but it's also very pure. And if more brands spend more time trying to help their people feel that, yes, you belong at my website. Yes, you belong from the moment you arrive in this business. This place is right for you. If we did more of that, I think it would be, be a much better world uh, than when, what we live in. And it certainly is an elevation of a branded customer experience. And they push it all over the place all of the time. Reward for it. They measure it in uh, in their metrics. They they will if Colin, you failed to deliver that belonging experience, uh, and the reviews suggested that you would drop in the algorithm on search, so it'd be hard to find your property. So there's a whole mechanism by which they try to influence uh, people to behave in accord with this higher value proposition than just the transaction. Right, right, good. Have you ever used um, Airbnb? Right. Yeah, once or twice. Airbnb is endlessly fascinating to me. I, I enjoy being proven wrong. And on paper, I would have predicted that Airbnb would never work. Like if somebody had outlined the business plan to me, I would say, oh, yeah, no, this is a terrible idea. And the fact that they have been just so wildly successful and disruptive. And we can list off all of the problems with the business model and what shouldn't work. They don't have direct control over the people providing their services, people kind of come in and out and they're not formal employees. And so creating this culture, which is difficult in any organization, seems like it should be impossible on paper. The idea that people would be willing to invite strangers into their homes uh, and sometimes turn their homes entirely over to strangers. Like when I first heard about that idea, I said, oh, yeah, that's crazy. Nobody would do that. It turns out I know nothing about this because it's just been so widely successful. I mean, when you look at the inception of the business, it re- seems like it required such a delicate balance of all of these conflicting forces. Is there a part, you know, having dug into this company and how it was founded and how it's grown, do you have a sense of, of how they were able to get these things, all these things right? Was it kind of a serial process of solving these individual problems or did they kind of know from the outset that no we've got to hit all of these things simultaneously and here's our plan for doing it so forgive me for keying on the word serial okay because i'm going to need to go there in just a moment but first and foremost ryan you are not alone i mean this company was on the verge of disaster over and over and over again and every time they went for funding from anybody the response was almost identical to the thoughts that you had like why would i invest money in a business that's reliant on people being willing to open their homes to strangers this is fraught with disaster so you are in some of the best company in the world when it comes to the cynicism about it the word Serial catches me because at one point when they were about to be destitute, the only way they got some publicity was by basically buying the cheapest cereal, a breakfast cereal that they could find, and then relabeling it around the political campaigns in the United States. So they had like McCain, uh, you know, McCain uh, matchups or something, and then they'd have Obama O's. And so they just relabeled these boxes with political signage, but they were just repackaging the cheapest cereal they could buy. And they were selling them for an inordinate amount of money. And this, they, they called themselves serial entrepreneurs with the C. And, and literally they were innovating and on the margins to do anything to keep this afloat until they could get to a, a you know, a, a, a 
I think, a proven point on it. The reality is this has been going on for a long time, this notion of people staying with other people. We had a little bit of a market of it in, in, in couchsurf.com and VRBO was doing it in the vacation rental space for a long time. But nobody had really created a platform to make the marketplace available. One of the, uh, the things that I really realized in this book is that we have forever in service relied on people to do things that extend trust that we probably shouldn't. In the old days, it was not uncommon, particularly in the United States, so I think other parts of the world have been a little bit more adaptive to this, to give your credit card to somebody, to go into a back room, to use it in whatever way they chose fit and bring it back to you, right? I mean, there was so many times we extended trust to strangers. We hopped in cabs with people that we didn't know, and somehow that made it okay because they were supposedly licensed. But who knows who's really driving the cab on that day? And so I think what, what you came to realize is that stranger danger was very much alive, but so was a craving to be connected to people, to be able to extend trust, to be able to have cheaper accommodations, to be able to rent an entire place so you could bring your whole family to stay together on a vacation instead of have to rent five rooms adjacent to each other. So I think they, you know, I don't know that I'm answering your question, but I think there was far more value in the value proposition than most of us ever saw. And they were persistent about it and they were getting more and more and more and more traffic. And at some point in time, when you get that many people exchanging money on a platform, more and more investors are interested in getting their cut. I love that framing. You, I mean, it seems to argue in favor of kind of optimism around human connections as foundational to a business model, um, which is, you know, kind of a lovely place to start. And, and frankly, most of the time it's proven true. Now, let, let's also note there are huge exceptions. And when those exceptions happen, it's ugly, ugly. But for the most part, that plus uh, guarantee that if you go in and trash somebody's house, you know, the insurance company that Airbnb hires is going to cover you up to a million dollars. You know, that's a pretty good place. Plus, here's the fine line on this. The real marketplace depends upon the host more than the guest. All of us want cheap accommodations. The host is the one who imposes on the risk. They're leveraging their capital and their property. And uh, they've done a really good job of nurturing the host and the profits to the hosts are so high. I mean, they take such a small percentage from the host. It's probably equivalent what it would be to just process a credit card payment and they do all your marketing for you. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you at the end of the day, it's not that bad of a value proposition uh, and it makes a lot of sense. As you were talking, it made me think that there's a good country song I like to, like at the moment, which is, which is called most people are good. Uh, and when you think about it, yeah, actually, you know, the majority of people are actually good. Uh, it's just the, some of the, you know, the bad apples. And, and in fact, I was, um, I was talking, um, I had a meal last night with my, my son's in-laws and they have a property up in the north of England that they rent out through Airbnb. And on the other side of it, they told us about the family that come in and then stole all the towels. The point they were making was it, that it must have had a whole suitcase full of towels because these were quite premium towels, you know, and they're therefore pretty thick and it's not the type of thing you accidentally put in your uh, suitcase, basically. But I have to say it was also dealt with uh, really well uh, by Airbnb. And I think the the other part for me is the thing that used to bug me when you used to rent a property was that they wanted it for seven days. And oftentimes I went, I don't really want to go away for seven days. I want to go away for five days or three days or or whatever. And obviously that flexibility is uh, is built in there as well, which I which I think is good. So I think it's this sort of classic stuff of 
there are some inherent issues in like taxis, you know, um, not being able to pay by credit card or not picking you up exactly where you are or whatever else that, that cause that friction uh, that, that when something comes along where she goes, hey, this is a lot easier and better and then um, and even cheaper, then I think all those things start to, to make the business model work, basically. And maybe more humane in some instances, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I have to say, I'm not sure if I could rent out a room, though, and have some stranger stuck in my room. That wouldn't suit my personality, but there you go. Right, no, and I'm with you, and, and, I, and I, I'm not a host, right? But I am a guest, and, and frankly, I wouldn't mind, you know, in, in Tampa, the city right next to me, somebody just got an air, you know, an old trailer, basically a travel trailer, and they converted it and put it in their front lawn, and they're making incredible amounts of money with millennials who are coming in and hanging out in this Airstream trailer because it's so kitsch, and it's great for Instagram. I guess there must be some really novel places as well that people could stay at that I'm sure does do really well. So Joseph, let's let's try and pull this together. Usual question at this point is, well, what does this mean for for people that are you know out there thinking? So what can they do with their business? What's the key issues that you think that uh, people could take away practically from this? Well, I think it, it, you should look at your business and say, what else can I do to make it easier for my customers to get their needs met? Uh, and that should be a mantra of yours. Okay, so today, what can I do to make it easier than it was yesterday to get our core customers' needs met in this business? I think Airbnb started in that place and they executed a solution on the technology side. I think we should be able to say, how do we make this personal for people? How do we make this more than something where they're exchanging money for product? How do we understand some of the deeper psychological drivers, which means you should spend a lot of time reading Colin Shaw and spending a lot of time listening to this podcast, because I think you guys are the authorities on emotional value creation. So we should really get into the deepest understanding of emotional value creation so that you're really pulling for greater value beyond whatever the benefits and attributes uh, that limit your product. Those are a couple, but the, Ryan just made me realize another one. We really should assume the best intent on the part of the consumer in order for us to deliver a great experience. You can manage the exceptions. But I think those brands that are out there defensively protecting themselves against the consumer are not positioned for what customers want. In order to be trusted by consumers, I think you have to extend trust. And it's a reciprocal relationship. It can't be commanded. It can't be demanded. It has to be given to be received. So for me, those would be a few key takeaways. Look at where is it that you need to be extending more trust so that you can be viewed as trustworthy? Where is it that you can add value at an emotional level beyond the practice? and how can you make it easier and i would add to that i mean it annoys me intensely that you, you know, organizations create processes for the one percent of the customers that are going to do something not very good rather than deal with it a different way so it, uh, that drives me around the bend ryan any 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 takeaways from you part of the story that i liked the most and that was kind of the the biggest news to me was the story around uh, interpersonal connections and, and community uh look on some level we all recognize how important those are. I have some friends who went to the the San Diego Comic-Con recently and they they do that every year and the the growth of these fan conventions, you know, speaks to the, the the idea that people want to connect and they want to form these relationships even sometimes impromptu or short-term relationships. 
And some brands seem to get that and leverage that for real value all around. And a lot of us, I think, neglect that core need and and overlook it as a way to really create great experiences and serve people better. Um, So, you know, are there ways that we can pull that into our businesses? Uh, Are there ways that we can empower employees to create those connections or facilitate connections amongst consumers? Or, you know, is this a new source of of value that we're not fully looking into? Because it is so powerful. Great. Okay, Joseph. So thanks very much for uh, joining us today. If people want to get hold of you then um, and moreover, get hold of the book, then um, what should they do? The book is uh, titled The Airbnb Way. So uh, you can look for that. Uh, I have a website, just theairbnbway.com, or you can go to any great bookstore. If they don't have the book, it's not a great bookstore by by definition. It's kind of a tautological definition of great, but I think it works. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, 800 CEO Read is a 800 CEO Read.com slash Airbnb is a good place to get it. And you can find me at josephmichelli.com. That's J O S E P H M I C H E L L I.com. I'm pretty much available on LinkedIn under my name and all those other places you would look for people on the web. Wonderful. Great. Good. Well, thanks so much for doing this today. I'm just about to think, we're, my wife and I are thinking of going to Rome, so I'm just about to get on Airbnb and find out what places they have in Rome. Awesome. Good. Let us know how it goes. Thanks very much, guys. Will do. Thank you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.